Well, it is a blessing uh, to see you all this morning, and uh, so thankful uh, that you're well uh, after getting text messages the last two or three weeks uh, on Sunday morning. Preacher, I'm not going to be there today. Uh, it's a blessing that we got a good number of folks who had been sick well again, and so welcome back, and so very grateful for that, and those that have been out of town, uh, seeing family and traveling, have family in town. Uh, so glad that you have survived the holiday season once again. And uh, so looking forward to tonight again. It's going to be a great service. And so we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes on uh, Sunday morning. <clears throat> and uh, we started a new series there uh, to the world and back again, A Journey Under the Sun. And uh, it's been a blessing. I've enjoyed the series thus far. And so we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, normally we're line by line, verse by verse, just working our way through the book. And we're going to go out of order. That's not allowed, but we're going to do it anyway. And so uh, just kind of sticking with more of a New Year's theme, uh, the Lord's really impressed on my heart uh, over the last month or so. Uh, since I've been here, we haven't done a theme per se. We haven't had like this year's theme is. Uh, I'm not against those. We did those every year when I was in Kaufman. I just hadn't really felt led to do that since we've been here. And uh, this year, I don't know if you want to call it a theme, uh, but the Lord's definitely put a, a challenge and a charge that I believe He wants for our church. Uh, collectively, and so that's really where this message is kind of born out of that. And so let's take our Bibles here this morning, go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 11. Ecclesiastes chapter number 11. If you find your place there, let's stand if you're able to, uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes in chapter number 11. So we're, we're fast forwarding to the good part of the book, uh, where Solomon comes to his conclusion statements where he starts to give wisdom. Right, the first majority of the book is all about all the dumb stuff that he did uh, when he tried to go and live life apart from God under the sun. And then at the end of the book, he gives this wisdom of saying, that's not going to work. It needs to be this. And so that's where we start coming into these, uh, what I call the Proverbs of Ecclesiastes, uh, where there's wisdom that's given to us. So Ecclesiastes chapter number 11, and we'll start reading in verse number 1. It says this, Cast thy bread... Upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both alike shall be good. Excuse me, shall be alike good. I'd like to preach this morning on this, cast thy bread upon the waters. Cast thy bread upon the waters. May God bless the readers where you could be seated, and thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures here this morning. Investment can be a very uh, scary thing, 
specifically investing in others. Uh, the reason it can be a scary thing is you never know how it's going to pan out, right? Uh, you can invest a lot of time and energy and emotion and even finances into somebody, and then it just not really work out that well, and then you figure out, man, no, I hated that. I invested all this time and energy into this person, and then they went and made poor decisions, and now it's a shipwreck. But it can also go the other way, can it? That you can invest time and energy and yourself and pour yourself into somebody, and then it turns out really, really well. It could be a great success. But unfortunately, the risk oftentimes in many people's mind outweighs the reward of investment. What I mean by that is the fear of getting burned makes it where people never reach out and never pour themselves into somebody else. And so instead of uh, saying, well, I might have a blessing, but I also could receive great hurt, but instead of having either of those, I'm just not going to do it. The fear of loss, hurt, or failure makes people decide that they're not going to invest in others at all. But whoa, whoa, stop just for a minute and think about your life and think about somebody who's invested in you. Amen. I, I'll just think about my own life because I know me. Um, my parents invested a lot in me. I look back now at all the boneheaded things I did as a kid and a teenager and even now as an adult, <laughs> and I think about all the grief that I put my parents through and I say this, they put up with a lot. And they loved me and they spanked me <laughs> and uh, they spanked me and they spanked me some more. You know, every night I didn't get good night kisses, I got good night spankings, amen? And... Uh, <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, my parents, though, I look back now, and though I didn't quite fully appreciate it as a, a teen especially, uh, and even in college, now having my own children and being a little bit older and retroactively looking back, I can say this, I look at the sacrifices and, and the investment that they made into my life, not just financially by like feeding me and clothing me, but they made sure I was in church. They made sure our family was going to be a family that loved the Lord and followed the Lord. That doesn't mean we were perfect, far from it, but it didn't mean this. Uh, they invested in us in spiritual things. Some of the biggest decisions that I ever made in my life were at youth conferences and, and youth camps and, and things that I'll say, uh, revival services, I'll say this, were investments that my family made that I am eternally grateful for, that I can say I would not be the person I am today had they not put up the money and the energy and the time and said no to so many good things so they could say yes to the one important thing that I really needed in my life. I'm very eternally grateful for that. Uh, I can look back uh, at teachers that I had. Uh, some were good. Others were not. But there were a few that really stood out. Do you have those teachers where you think back? Some of you, that's many years to look back, but you still remember them, don't you? That teacher that maybe had an impact in your life. Uh, I can think I had the same teacher in second and third grade, not because I failed or anything, just had her two years in a row. I don't know what you're thinking. Uh, but I had her for second and third grade, and uh, her name was Miss Mueller. And my parents will tell you, she made a big difference in my life because I went from like remedial everything messed up to then when I was in fourth grade, I was on accelerated, you know, the gifted and talented. She just made a huge impact in my life because where other teachers saw this bratty kid that got spankings every night before he went to bed instead of kisses, right? 
uh, she invested in me and loved on me and, and, and just really poured herself into me. And it made a difference in my behavior and my, my focus there in school. Just a huge difference that was made. Uh, coaches. Maybe there's a coach in your life that made a difference. Uh, I, I'm thankful I had a coach my freshman year of high school that just took 15 minutes out of his day. And one-on-one did some work with me in basketball. Basketball was my sport through high school. And he just worked with me for a little bit. And it totally changed my game. It just just made it altogether better. And I look back on that and say the time that he took probably meant nothing to him. But it meant the world to me. It just made a huge difference uh, not only in my game but also in my perception about myself as a player, the investment that he made, just 15 minutes that he took, just one day during a practice and took me aside one-on-one, just made a, a huge difference. Uh, maybe more in a, a spiritual realm, probably one of the greatest impacts in my life was my youth pastor. Uh, just this week, uh, he came over and helped me with something at our, our new house that we're about to move into and, and uh, helped me fix something that was broken there. And I'll, I'll say this, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for my youth pastor who had many flaws, but he still invested in me tons. I think about times where he would go, we'd just go hang out together, or he would meet up early so we could pray, or things that he would do where he invested in me, or I'd say, he took time away from his family and invested in my life. It's huge, huge difference there. I think about some pastors in my life, uh, men of God that have invested in me. My dad was my pastor most of my life, but... Uh, I had opportunity to sit under Brother Sam Davison while I was up at Heartland, and that was my wife's pastor her whole life till she married me, and she downgraded a little bit. But I say this: uh, I, I'm thankful Brother Sam uh, knew me by name and invested in me. And I can think about times where I had opportunity to intern at the church there, where we traveled together and just one-on-one conversations. The times he's come, even now as a pastor, where he's come and preached a revival for me, and we've had opportunity to visit. And it's just the influence that he's poured into me, the investment he's made in my life, I don't think really could be quantified. It's just in the, it's, it, it cannot be calculated how much of a difference that he's made in my life. Now listen, I could go down the list. We could be here the rest of the day. I could talk about people who've invested. I could talk about church members. That'd be dangerous, but you're talking about church members that have invested in, in me and, and, and been a help and have helped me uh, uh, better ways to do things and, and loved on me and my family. And I, man, I think about huge investments that have been made into my life. And I stop and I think just for a moment, what if those people had better things to do? What if those people decided that my life was not worth investing in? I can honestly say I would not be the person I am today had it not been for those investments. The investment of time and talent and energy and money and all that was poured into my life. If I say it this way, I'm not a self-made man. If I'm honest with myself, although there's many decisions that I personally had to make, many of them were easier and many of them, uh, if, if I can say it this way, sent me on a path and projected me in the right direction because somebody loved me and cared about me enough to invest in my life. They saw a diamond in the rough. They saw something that really wasn't worth anything, but they saw what it could be, not what it was. They loved me for who I was, but they knew there was more to me. They knew there was something in the future. They knew there was something worth investing in, and so they poured themselves into that. 
May I submit to you here this morning, you have people in your life just like that. If you're honest with yourself, you can look back, whether it was a parent or a pastor or a youth pastor or a church member or a coach or a teacher or whoever it might be, somebody that invested in your life and it has paid dividends because they cared about you enough that they invested in you. You might be here this morning and say, well, nobody's ever done that for me. Well, who shared Jesus with you? If you've been saved, accepted Christ, your personal Savior, somebody loved you and cared about you enough to at least invest in you in that way, Amen. gave you a gospel tract, shared the plan of salvation, preached the gospel message to you, and they gave you the greatest gift you could have ever received of hearing the gospel. Amen. And you received it. And the, the investment that's been made in our life. So here's the challenge here this morning. And I'll try to really fine-tune this because there's a specific investment that I want all of us to make in somebody else's life this year. But here's kind of where the challenge is going is, you need to be that to somebody else. You are not a Dead Sea Christian. At least God hadn't called you to be that. What I mean by that is, you don't just receive investment, you are called to be an investor in somebody else's life. A conduit of blessings. Somebody has blessed you. Now it's your turn to bless somebody else. And more than somebody else, maybe many somebodies. Yep, and invest in them. So we come to Ecclesiastes. And again, just the, still the same book. But here Solomon's been on this journey. And we kind of really fast forward to the end of the book. We're going to go back next week. But if you remember where we've been in the first few chapters there in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is saying, vanity of vanities, everything's awful, everything's vexation of soul and spirit, because he's trying to live life on this earth for this earth. And that is a miserable existence. If all we have is this life, we are of all men most miserable, is what the New Testament would say. And Solomon understood living life in this life for this life and living life under the sun, under this world system, is vanity, it's empty, it's vexation. There's no fulfillment, there's no true joy in that. But life lived for the glory of God, life lived for the Son of God, has great value and purpose and worth. Amen. And so that's the journey really he goes on. He leaves the Lord to live a life under the sun and then understands at the end of the book that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep His commandments. Well, as he comes to the conclusion of these matters, he starts to have these uh, proverbial statements, these wisdom statements that come out, where he says, life lived for God looks like this. Life lived under the fear of God looks like this. And that's exactly where Proverbs 11 starts to take us, where he says this, cast thy bread upon the waters. And everyone says... That just blesses my soul. Because I'm, you know what I learned at church today? I need to go feed the ducks. Because <laughs> okay. for us in America, that's what we think about when we're throwing bread on the water, is we're taking a loaf of bread and we're throwing it out there so the ducks can eat. Okay, that is not what that means. So agricultural society, right? Israel is one who was agrarian, which means that they're planting crops and they're growing livestock. By and large, that's most of the people in Israel did that. This phrase of cast thy bread upon the waters was referencing those who would be planting seeds or growing crops. So what they would do, uh, and this is still true today, uh, if you see folks that grow crops, there's one part of the field that doesn't get the proper drainage as it's supposed to. And if it rains real heavy, it'll like flood. 
You know what I'm talking about? And you see like this whole big crop of like, uh, you know, wheat or, or barley or corn or whatever it is. If you go around and you see that. And then in one little corner, it's like it's either little bitty plants or it's not grown real well because of the irrigation situation. It's either not getting enough water or it's like flooded out. Okay, that area of fields was around during this day as well. So that there would be areas of the field that were usually good producing areas that were beneficial that they would plant. And then there were other areas that were low-lying that were not really that beneficial to plant, and so they would usually skip them. So here's what Solomon says. Plant everything, but when you get done, instead of holding up reserve seed for the next year's crop, take it and cast that on those muddy, watery pools. So Israel would have more of a rainy season, so when they were planting, it usually would be kind of moist at that time. And as they're out there, there would be these puddles of water in these low-lying areas of the field. And the temptation was this. What if my crop doesn't turn out good this year? That, that's a real thing that could happen. I mean, drought, the, the pestilence, you know, disease could get the crop. And then he says, you know what? I want to hold back in store some of this seed just in case everything goes south so that I can have, so I can plant for next year. And Solomon is telling him to do this, take that reserve seed, and he's saying, go out there and cast that bread, cast those seeds on those low-lying areas, those watering areas, because if by chance the rain hits in a certain way, that could be your most profitable area. So that's the encouragement he gives. Cast thy bread upon the water, because he says, you never know, you might find it, after many months, after many seasons, you'll come back and find it after many days. So he goes on, just kind of develops this idea a little bit further in verse number two, when he says, give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Now again, this follows the same idea of investing, taking something that you have that's a part of you and investing it in others. So this idea of giving a portion to seven and eight is... There would be those that would be destitute and wouldn't have food. And so he's saying, take food and lay it aside so that if somebody comes by that's destitute, you have portions that you can give. Well, how many should I give it to? I don't know, seven or eight. That's a lot of mouths to feed. I remember when I was in college, I worked at uh, Bass Pro Shop there in downtown Oklahoma City area one year. And um, yes, Oklahoma City does have a downtown area, and they, and they do have a Bass Pro Shop. They're not that backwater. But I'll say this, uh, when I worked there at Bass Pro Shop, right across the street, there was a McDonald's. Like any downtown area, there's an attractiveness to those areas of homelessness, right? And so every day when I would go to McDonald's, back when hamburgers were like a dollar, instead of, I don't know how much they are now, but you could go through and I would get uh, my dollar hamburger or whatever, and I would always buy an extra one because I knew somebody was going to ask me for food. So give me an opportunity to give somebody a, a meal and witness to them, and that's usually what I did on my lunch break every day at Bass Pro Shop. I can't imagine buying my meal if they get seven or eight others. As a parent, we don't eat out very much anymore because I've got the four kids uh, the same way. Giving a portion to four is a lot. Giving a portion to seven or eight. Well, what exactly is he talking about here? 
He's starting to talk about benevolence. The reality that if God has blessed you, being willing to impart what he's given you to others and being very liberal with that. Not stingy, liberal. Okay? He then goes on and he talks about that there are certain things in life that are certain and other things that are not. So verse number three talks about this idea of certainties, which is kind of this. There are times you can tell it's going to rain and you don't even have to be a weatherman. He says if the clouds be full of rain... It's going to rain. You know, if, if you walk outside and you see thunder and lightning and you can just feel that pressure change and the wind picking up and it's like just sprinkling a little bit, you go, I think it's going to rain. <laughs> it's not that difficult to do, right? If it's going to rain and it's coming in, you can, you can usually know, hey, it's going to rain. He then talks about this. There can be a tree in the forest. Now, whether when it falls it makes a sound or not, we don't know. But the Bible does tell us if that tree is standing in the wood, falls to the north, there's a certainty that it's not going to stop halfway down and change directions and fall to the south. It's just kind of the logic of how this thing works. So he says this, if a tree is falling to the south, it's just going to fall, and where it falls, that's where it's going to lie. If it falls to the north, that's where it's going to be. There are some things in life that are rather certain, aren't they? There aren't a lot of certain things, but there are some things in life that have some certainty to them. But there are other things in life that have very little certainty. So I know we already talked about the water, uh, uh, the weather, and the rain, but in verse number four, he then talks about this idea of observing the winds. Now, it's one thing if you walk outside and it's thundering and lightning and it's starting to sprinkle and you go, it's going to rain. But it's another thing to try to predict the weather ahead of time. Even with all of our advanced technology and people who go to college and have all these expert degrees, they still get it wrong. Well, you've got a such and such percentage of rain, right? I mean, I love when they say you got a 100% chance of rain and then we get nothing. And they say, well, we're not going to see any water. And then it's like a deluge. It just pours rain. Well, why? Because even with our best efforts, we are terrible at observing the winds. When I worked at uh, Springtown Feed Store when I was in high school, we uh, would do bulk fertilizer. Uh, so people would do their hay fields. And they would come by and they would get nitrogen, triple 15, whatever they were wanting in these uh, hoppers, these trailers that would distribute the fertilizer into the fields. And so there were those who would try to observe the wind in this process. Because if you put out the fertilizer and it doesn't rain, you're going to burn up your field. But... If you wait too late, it's going to be a mess. If you try to put that fertilizer out and it's pouring rain out there, it's just going to clump up and be a mess and it won't do what you want it to do. So usually what people did is they would understand, hey, it's going to rain maybe within the next week or two. It's that time of year. They would go buy the fertilizer. They would put it out. But there would always be that individual that would try to observe the wind. They would try to wait until it was a certainty it was going to rain they would swing by the feed store the last minute when it's literally thundering and lightning outside and they go, I need a ton of fertilizer immediately. <laughs> and you always have to tell them, sorry, we can't do it. You know, if you observe the wind, you'll never plant the field. What Solomon's saying is, although there are some things in life that are full of certainty, there are other things in life that are absolutely uncertain and out of our control. 
And if a farmer is going to wait for the perfect conditions to plant his field, you know what will never happen? A planted field. Because the moment it becomes the perfect environment for him to plant, it's too late. So ultimately, farming really falls on faith, doesn't it? You put it in the ground, and then you say this, now it's up to God. It's up to the Lord to bring the, the rain. It's up to God to provide the protection from disease and pestilence. And it's up to the Lord to allow this to grow and be the crop that it ought to be. It's ultimately in His hand. He gives a couple more illustrations about this down there in verse number 5. He says, you, do, you don't know what the way of the Spirit is. The Spirit here talking about the wind he says, you don't know which way the wind's going to be blown from one day to the next. But here's even a more powerful thing. It's a mystery how God forms a baby in the womb. Man, that, even today with all of our wonders and technology, it is a miracle how God can take these cells and multiply them in such a way that a human life is formed, unique and different from all others. The, the, the miraculous work of conception and the baby being developed in the womb is absolutely mind-boggling. I'll say this, no matter how much we try to understand it, it is beyond our understanding. And again, we could almost put a plug in here. Is always try to do this. There are many in society, and boy, it's become a hot topic once again, who would want to say that that is an area that ought to be killed and destroyed and maligned and governed. And I'll say, man, there's so much sanctity in life and so much protection that ought to be given to the womb because that is a miracle working of God, every life that is formed within the womb. And that's nonetheless exactly what he talks about here of this beautiful example of there are some things we never can truly know. So what does that mean for us? Well, in verse number six, he says this. So the field. In the morning, just go plant the crop. There are some things in life that are certain, but there are other things in life that are absolutely not certain. And one of the uncertain things in life is this. You don't know how that crop's going to turn out. It could be the best crop you've ever had. It could be the worst crop you ever had. But you'll never know till you put the seed in the ground. Amen. So sow the field. Invest. So what does that mean for us? Well, it ultimately has to do with this. God wants you to take what you have been blessed with in your life and invest in others. To not invest is to squander what God has blessed you with. Well, what if I invest and then it fails? You'll never know till you try. Come on now. As a pastor, I've had the opportunity to pour myself in people to have them ultimately stab me in the back. That feels so good. It's, it's just, it's wonderful. My wife will tell you all about it. It's just great. It's great. But listen, I'm not the only one. You've probably experienced that before too, haven't you? Amen. You've invested in people. You poured money and energy and time and invested in somebody and loved somebody and extended yourself and went above and beyond to pour yourself into somebody, ultimately for it to be a disappointment only for it to blow up in your face and not pan out, and ultimately for them not only to not be grateful for what you did, but even hate you for what you did. Isn't that a weird dynamic? It happens, though. Unfortunately, sometimes the people you invest in the most and love the most and pour the most into are the people that hurt you the most. But for every one of those horror stories, there's good crops, too. Amen. 
And I can look at my life as a pastor. I can look at individuals where I can say, man, that life has been changed. That person got led to the Lord. They got baptized. Now they're growing in Christ. And I can see families that have been altered, family trees that are totally different now, not because of the work of a pastor, but because of the work of the Lord through a pastor. Right? And, and the work of the Lord through other believers. Now, here, here's ultimately what Solomon wants us to understand is you need to sow the seed so much to the extent that you're willing to cast your bread upon the waters. What does that mean? Well, sometimes I'm willing to invest, but I like to hold a little back. You know what I'm talking about? There's a difference between a full commit and a partial commit. There's a difference between giving of yourself and giving yourself. There is a difference of going full board and going half board. And what Solomon is saying here is simply saying this. Don't reserve the seed back. Take the reserve seed down and go cast it on the water because you never know what that life might be. So indiscriminately. What do you mean so indiscriminately? Well, there's good ground and there's ground that's questionable, but Solomon tells them to sow the whole field. You know, sometimes I look at people's life and in my human eyes, I look at them like the prophet did when he showed up to, look, to crown the next king of Israel. And I go, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He's looking at Elijah. He said, this is the guy here, man. He's tall. He's muscular. He's awesome. But the Lord goes, no, Samuel, that's not him. Next one, next one, next one, next one. He goes, Jesse, do you have any more kids? Yeah, the, the runt of the litter. But I left him out in the field because he's ruddy. He's freckle-faced. Little curly-head brat kid. We left him to take care of the chores so you could pick from the good kids, not the leftovers. Well, go get him. God said no to all these others. He shows up and he looks at this little freckle-faced, ruddy kid and he pours oil on his head and he says, this is the Lord's anointed. Now listen, nobody else saw what God saw. But God saw something in David, didn't he? In my human eye, sometimes I look at people based on their talent or their stature, or their position. And in my human estimation, I can look at somebody and go, whoo, good ground right here. They're worthy of my time. Not a dangerous thing. They're worthy of my investment. I've only got a limited amount of time here, so I'm going to invest it where it really is going to count. And this obviously is the place it needs to go. It's so worthy. Do you know, I actually am a very poor judge of that. I am. I'll be really honest. When I was in Bible college, the guys that I was best friends with and, and ran with, the guys that I thought were going to really do something for God, most of them are not in the ministry and some are not even in church now. Other guys that were absolutely slackers and I thought, wow, they are going to be terrible. God could never use them. They're some of my best friends in ministry now. Why? Well, in my human estimation, I looked at, at the oldest and I said, this is the Lord's anointed. And God said, no, 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 it's that little freckle-faced kid. That's the one that's going to make a difference. Well, here's the thing. You don't, there's some things that are certain in life, but there's other things that we just don't know. L listen, I, I don't know which one of my four children, I don't know what they're going to be like when they grow up as an adult, right? But I'll say this, I want to invest in all of them. I want to pour my life into all of them. I don't know which of church members are going to wind up maybe being called into the ministry or doing some great work or God using them in a great way and which ones are just going to kind of warm up you. I don't know. But you know this, you need to make that investment. 
Here's the thing. If you're waiting for the perfect candidate for you to invest your life in, you'll never do it. You're waiting for the perfect environment to sow the field. You'll be running up to the feed store counter at the last minute saying, please, can I do this? And you'll realize you have no time left to invest. I think there are many who squandered all of the blessings and all the time of their life away and now have little to nothing to invest in the next generation. Listen, I'm thankful for our young people that come. Invest in them. I'm thankful for some of these new young couples that are coming. Invest in them. I'm thankful for people in our community that do not know the Lord that you can invest in. So here's ultimately where this kind of rubber meets the road challenge, if you will, of this investing thing comes in for 2024. So this is the last day of 2023, so we get to start this tomorrow. So this is what it looks like. I want you to take just a moment and look around. Actually, physically turn your head. Okay, yeah. Yeah. This is my exercise of making sure everyone's awake. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> just look around, okay? You see who's here, right? Now, I understand there's people that come to our church. They're not here today because of sickness or they're out of town or whatever the case might be. They just didn't come today. But I'll say this. There's somebody that should be here that's not here. No, no, no. Not a maybe, a definite. And that individual that you're probably thinking of right now in your mind, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, doesn't know the Lord, or maybe they know the Lord, but they are totally out of church. They're not where they need to be with the Lord. And maybe in your mind you're thinking right now, uh, yeah, but they'll never. Really? I've seen God take some nevers. And do some amazing things with them. Amen. Don't limit God. Maybe in your mind you're thinking never, but that's not how our God operates. But you know who you're thinking of right now in your mind. Or maybe it's somebody you're not even thinking of. But here's what the challenge is. This time next year, they're going to be in the pew next to you. Amen. And that, that's not just for me. And that's not just for Brother Kyle or Brother Ken or Brother Gary or some of the... That's, for every single person. No, no, no. If you're a believer, you're a fisher of men. If you're a child of God, God's called you to go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. Amen. I'm, I'm not going to say it this way. That's my job as a pastor, but it's your job too. Right. It's not exclusive just for one person. Age has no bearing on it. This is a challenge as much for these teenagers as it is for you if you're way up in age. Amen. If you're still drawing in breath, you have opportunity to invest in somebody. And I'm telling you right now, there is somebody in Bridgeport, Texas, who is waiting for you to invest in their life. Now, whether you think they're worthy of that investment or not is not really the question. The question becomes this, has God called us to do that? Has God called us to be fishers of men? Has God called us to go out and compel people to come in? Has God called us to cast our bread upon the waters and go full in on this thing? Absolutely. So the challenge is each one reach one. That's, that's not a big challenge. It really isn't. I'm, I'm not asking you to fill a pew, right? Remember when you used to have fill a pew Sunday? Oh, fill a pew Okay, we're not asking you to come in here and fill a pew or build this or do this huge thing. It's simply this, one person.
make a difference in one person's life. Can you do that? I think you can. Some people here probably this morning have never led somebody to Christ before. This is the year that changes. You can share the gospel with somebody. Some of you have never made a big difference in somebody's life, like taking somebody who is unchurched and leading them to a place where they are in church. This is the year that changes. You're going to make a difference in somebody's life. A classmate, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, an eternal difference in somebody's life. You can. Each one can reach one. Take what God has given you and what's been invested in your life and now make the conscious decision, I'm going to invest that in somebody else. And I can tell you right now, you might fail. Not because of lack of effort, but because the crop didn't pan out. And it's going to hurt. Bad. But don't let the fear of failure ruin the opportunity of success. Each one can reach one. Find somebody's life to invest in this year. Let's all stand together as we come to the time of invitation.